listening to the Central Church Podcast. To learn more about Central Church, including our gathering times, visit us online at centralsanford.net. Today's talk comes from Pastor Alan Brumbach. And all the time, praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. If you're happy and you know it, say amen. I am happy to be in the Estados Unidos in the United States of America, and I have been gone for two weeks. I just want to say thank you to our amazing staff here that they held down the fort. Let's give a, a round of applause. Thank you. And also thank you to Pastor Mike, who did a tremendous job preaching last Sunday. And... Uh, Praise, praise the Lord for him today. Well, let's uh, look at God's Word. So if you have a copy of God's Word, there's a Bible in front of you. You can follow along on the screen. Turn to Psalm 111. We're starting a new series today called Awesome God, and this series is going to be looking at the incommunicable attributes of God uh, in the book of Psalms. And so we're excited about this study that we're going to have this summer, and I hope that you are as well. So we're going to look at Psalm 111, and we're going to begin in verse number one. Let's stand as we read God's Word, Psalm 111, verse number one. The Bible says, praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart in the company of the upright and the congregation. Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them. Full of splendor and majesty is His work, and His righteousness endures forever. He has caused His wondrous works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and merciful. He provides food for those who fear Him. He remembers His covenant forever. He has shown His people the power of His works and given them the inheritance of the nations. The works of His hand are faithful and just. All of His precepts are trustworthy. They're established forever and ever to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. He sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. Now, let's all read verse 10 together. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have good understanding. His praise endures forever. You may be seated. Let's pray. Father, your name is the name that is holy and awesome in this room this morning. Your name is a name that is higher and greater than we can imagine. And today we want to glorify your name. So, Father, would we today understand and comprehend with all the saints the height, the depth, and the breadth, and the love of God that surpasses all knowledge. For you are God who can do exceedingly abundantly more than we can ask or think. To you be the glory today in your church through Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. What is your greatest fear? You know, fear is probably the most, probably is the strongest human emotion that we experience. Fear motivates and dictates a lot of decisions that we make. Think about the decisions that you made this week that fear played into that. Uh, we all have experienced fear in our life. We've all had moments where we have felt the adrenaline released, our hearts racing, our breathing accelerating, our muscles tense up, and our brains go into hyperdrive. Fear is a defense mechanism. Fear is ultimately trying to control what we cannot control. It, it, is, it is ultimately, for most of us, when we make something bigger in our lives than God is, well, one of my greatest fears in life is losing my bag while flying internationally. <laughs> now, I know uh, that I'm a pastor, I'm a man of God, uh, and I believe in God, 
but I'm one of those neurotic people that rushes down as quickly as possible as soon as I get off the plane to baggage claim to be right next to the very place where the bags come out first. I stand right there. I've never lost a bag in all of my many travels until last week. <laughs> After traveling almost 20 hours in a plane, exhausted, coming from the country of Turkey, where I was almost not allowed to get on the flight to go to Greece because I didn't have some sort of QR code, and that's another thing for another day and another sermon and a lot of prayer. <laughs> Finally, at the last minute, I was allowed to get on the plane, and there I was in Athens, Greece. I had to go through uh, dangerous toil and snares, but made it through, waiting there for my bag. First one in the line. An hour later, nothing had come. My worst fears had come upon me. I went to the place where you're supposed to go tell them that you don't have your bag. And the woman said, yes, your bag is in Istanbul. And I said, really? She said, yeah, I, we, we knew that your bag didn't make it on the plane with you. And I said, well, it would have been nice if you would have told me that an hour ago. My great fear came upon me. But here's what I learned. It didn't kill me. I didn't die. As a matter of fact, my bag arrived a day Late, I was worried about something that wasn't worth worrying over instead of trusting God. I allowed the fear of losing my bag to be bigger in my life than God was in that moment. Well, I don't know what you have got in your life that is bigger than God right now in your life, but whatever that is, I'm hoping that this series that we're about to start is going to help you work through your anxieties, work through your fears. And, and we're starting here in Psalm 111, and Psalm 111 is a psalm of praise to our awesome God. It is an acrostic poem that starts with the, it goes through the Hebrew alphabet, and each line starts with a different letter of the Hebrew alphabet, and, and each and every one of these lines points us to the greatness of our God, His wonder and His power. And what we read in the Psalms is that there is no one like our God. He is utterly and absolutely unique. As Jen Wilkins puts in her book, there is none like Him. See, what makes God unlike us is what theologians call incommunicable attributes. We're going to be talking about this quite a bit over the summer. And incommunicable attributes are characteristics that are God's and God's alone. And so when we think of his omnipotence, his power, he's all-powerful. His omniscience, he's all-knowing. His omnipresence, he is everywhere. His infinite, that there is nothing that is too hard for him, that he is inexhaustible and he is eternal. We are over these next few Sundays going to be going through a series talking about the awesomeness of our God. And here's what I want you to learn this series. Here's what I want you to learn this sermon. And that is this. If you do not properly fear the Lord, then you will be afraid of everything and everyone else. If you do not properly fear the Lord, then you will be afraid of everything and everyone else in your life. So we want to begin this series asking ourselves the question, what is the fear of the Lord why should we fear the Lord, and how can 
we fear the Lord. So the first question is, what is the fear of the Lord? As you were to do a survey through verses 1 through 9, the psalmist, uh, we do not necessarily know who this is, uh, is talking about the greatness of God, his transcendence. As you read verses 1 through 9, you see that the psalmist tells us that his works are great. The works here can be things that he has made and things that he has done, that he is full of splendor. He is majestic. He is righteous. He is upright. He is eternal. He is forever. And the names that he gives us are awesome and holy, that this is what separates God from all other creation, from all other people, from all other things, is that he is transcendent. He is high above all things. But not only do we see in this psalm God's transcendence, he is high above, but we also see God's imminence, his goodness. We see his greatness and his goodness. He uses words like he is faithful. God is just. He is providing He's trustworthy, he's a promise keeper, he's gracious, and he's merciful. And so what the psalmist does in this acrostic poem is he tells us that God is both transcendent, far from us, but also imminent, close to us. That God is both high and holy, and he is meek and lowly. What what an awesome God he is, that he, the high and holy one who dwells in in holiness and in glory, also dwells with the contrite and, and the lowly. And so in the response to that, he says in verse number 10 that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. He says in response to both God's greatness and his goodness, we should respond with fear for God. Now, all throughout the Bible... We're commanded not to fear. You know, have you not heard that, that over 365 times in the Bible, God tells us not to fear? There's one uh, verse for every day of the year that we shouldn't fear. I mean, we're no longer slaves to fear. We're children of God. Scripture views fear as a bad thing. God has not given us the spirit of fear, right? The Bible says that. Fear is something that Jesus came to rescue us from, that we are no longer slaves to the fear of death. He has rescued us from that. But then the Bible also says that we are to fear God, that it is a good thing to fear God. So so what do we do with this? We're, We're told not to be afraid, but then we're also told to fear God. And so how do we rationalize this biblically? Well, here's what you have to understand. To fear God is first not to be afraid of God. Okay, being afraid of God drives you away from God. In history, many people have been afraid of God. Many people are afraid of the idea of God. John Bunyan said that this is ungodly fear. John Flavel, a Puritan, said that this is sinful fear. And now, when you think about this, there's kind of two types of sinful fear. There is irreligious sinful fear, and there is religious sinful fear. That you can either be someone who doesn't believe in God and, and, and have sinful fear of God, or you can have someone that maybe you do believe in God, but also have sinful fear. And I'm going to show it to you. Irre- irreligious sinful fear maybe is best categorized by a guy named Christopher Hitchens. Christopher Hitchens is a renowned atheist. And, and when he was asked about the possibility of God, here is what he said. He says, I think it would be rather awful if it were true. If there was a permanent, total, round-the-clock, divine supervision of everything you did, you would never have a waking or sleeping moment when you weren't being watched and controlled and supervised by some celestial entity from the moment of your conception to the moment of your death. So modern, secular people reject the idea of God 
because they want to be liberated from this sinful, irreligious fear of God. They are afraid that if there is a God, He is watching us, He knows what we're doing, and we have to be accountable to Him. So they are afraid of God, and so they don't want to believe in God. And so an irreligious, sinful fear is atheism. But then you have a religious sinful fear. And we can see this best kind of shown in in a guy named uh, Martin Luther. Young Martin Luther, who is the reformer. Uh, he nailed his theses on the, the doors there in Wittenberg in Germany. And before he became uh, a Protestant, he's kind of the first Protestant, he was under medieval Roman Catholicism. And Luther wrote about his experience in medieval Roman Catholicism in which he said that he was afraid of God. And here's what he wrote. He says, Christ was depicted as a grim tyrant, a furious, stern judge who demanded much of us and imposed good works as a payment for our sins. Here's what he says. I did not love, yes, I hated the righteous God who punishes sinners and secretly, if not blasphemously, certainly murmured greatly, I was angry with God. Do you see that an improper fear of God is one irreligious sinful fear, which leads to atheism, but then you have a religious sinful fear, and that leads to legalism. See, a wrong kind of fear of God comes from a wrong understanding of God. Okay? If you don't understand who God is, you're going to have a wrong view of Him, and the wrong view of Him is going to lead to a wrong kind of fear of Him. So for the religious, like Martin Luther... An unhealthy, ungodly fear will cause you to perform all kinds of external duties in order to appease God so that you can get what you want from God or not go to hell. So if you have a wrong, distorted view of God that's based on a religious view, you're going to always kind of be living in fear that God is going to send you to hell if you don't do this, that, or the other. But on the other side, for the irreligious like Hitchens, this, this wrong view of God and who He is will repel you from the idea of God Himself so that you can feel free from Him in your life. You see that if you have a wrong view of who God is, it will either make you a legalist or an atheist. A sinful, wrong type of fear drives you from God. A proper, right kind of fear of God drives you towards God. It is joyful all and wonder of God. It is to love, trust, and desire to obey Him above all things. Jen Wilkins, Wilkins in her book, None Like Him, she says that it is a radical God-centeredness that shapes everything else in life. It is building your life around God, taking God more seriously than anything or anyone else in your life. Fear is a worship word. You worship who or what you fear the most. Think about that. You fear what you worship, and you worship what you fear. The psalmist in this psalm is calling us to worship a God who does great and mighty things, but he's not calling us to worship the great and mighty things. Sinful fear causes us to tremble and turn from God. Godly fear causes us to repent and worship God. Now, this does not mean that we have a lack of respect for God, but reverence for God. And and we know that there are some Christians, especially maybe in modern Christianity, that lack a real reverence for God and kind of treat Him like some old big teddy bear in the sky. But true godly fear of God 
is a mixture of awe and intimacy. All, you are in all at the size and power of God. Do you understand that the God who created the Son loves you and knows you by name? So it is a mixture of awe and intimacy, awe in that you have a God who is of great size, infinite size and infinite power, but intimacy, realizing that he has paid your sin debt to bring you close to him. So here's the thing. If you have all without intimacy, then you're going to have warmth, no warmth in your relationship with God. You're going to have legalism at best. So if you just are in awe of God, but you have no relationship with God, you're going to constantly be trying to do whatever it takes to please the God that you are in awe of. And on the other hand, if you have intimacy without all, you're going to be lazy, complacent with your obedience, and you're going to compromise. It's going to lead to liberalism. But when you have intimacy with God and in awe of God, that is the fear of the Lord. So it's a mixture of awe and intimacy. And whenever you go one direction more than the other, it's going to be a distortion of the proper fear of God. Tim Keller put it best. He said that the fear of the Lord is joyful awe and wonder before the transcendent greatness of who God is and what he has done. So what is the fear of the Lord? Well, that's what it is. It's the joyful awe and wonder before the transcendent greatness of God of the God who is and what he has done. So the next question is, why should we fear the Lord? Well, in verse number 10, he says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of what? Wisdom. Proverbs 117 says the same thing. So the psalmist here is saying that if you want to be wise, the first thing you should do is have a healthy, godly fear of God. So wisdom comes from fearing God. We will only become wise when we properly view God. When we see that God is both transcendent and imminent, and then we build our lives around him. So a verse that is probably one of my many life verses, I think I have a lot of life verses, is Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, say this with me, acknowledge him. That means that he is, you're seeing everything that he's involved in. And what will he do? He will direct your path. He will make your path straight. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. To live your life in view of who God is and then build your life on what he has done. Uh, Charles Spurgeon says that it's not only, the fear of the Lord is not only the beginning of wisdom, but it's the middle and the end. It is indeed the alpha and the omega, the essence, the body, the soul, the sum and substance. He that hath the fear of God is truly wise. Wisdom is the art of skillful living. It's the ability to live life in a way that is smart, understanding, shrewd, according to the designs of God. It is a life that leads to human flourishing and ultimate joy. I didn't say happiness, but I said joy. And so to fear God is to know how valuable He is in your life, how much you depend upon Him, and how foolish it would be to put yourself out of alignment to Him. If you want to be wise, fear God. It's the beginning, it's the middle, and it's the end. And so let's think about this, let's deduce this. If the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, then let's think of it in the terms of the opposite. Then the fear of anything else is the beginning of folly. Okay? So when you fear anything else... That's how you live a foolish life. When you lose sight of God, you become fearful 
of other things. And so Jen Wilkins, again, in her book says that when we lose sight of who God is, we fill the gap in our vision with the fallible majesty of something or someone else. So what modern secularism does is it replaces God as source of your life with science, with weird science. Or it puts the center of all things either science or the government or human ingenuity. And so what happens when we get rid of God, then we can just do whatever we want without fear. That's the thought of the modern secularist. That if you just get rid of God, then you can do whatever the devil you want to do. But that is the beginning of folly. The beginning of folly is to live your life without reference to God. So when Nietzsche said that, we are, that God is dead... When you kill God, you are opening the door to increasing anxiety and the fear of the unknown. If there is no God, then there's no one in control. And if there's no one in control, you better sleep with one eye open at night. Michael Reeves, in his book that I read while I was gone, Rejoice and Tremble, highly commend it to you, said this. He says, with society having lost God as the proper object of healthy fear, our culture is necessarily becoming ever more neurotic. Amen? ever more anxious about the unknown. Indeed, ever more anxious about anything and everything. Without a kind, fatherly God's providential care, we are left utterly uncertain about the shifting sands of both morality and reality. People are getting worse with anxiety. When you get rid of God, it doesn't make things better. And what happens is, is that when you get rid of God, things in your life get totally out of proportion. Fear is often magnifying things disproportionately. The more you want something, the more you fear its loss. So I'll give you an example. I'm a Kentucky fan. I know that's shocking to some of you. Uh, and, and I want us to win every game. I do. But I want to be honest with you, I really don't enjoy watching the big games. I don't. I hate it. Like, I don't mind the buildup. I don't mind talking about it. I don't mind listening to the talk radio about it. But I hate watching the big games. You know why? Because I am scared to death we're going to lose. Can I get a witness on that? Some of you sinners out there, let's just stand up and testify. Some of you can dance in a moment. I mean, that's me. And so listen, I make losing a basketball game like life or death. And if you've been around me watching such games, you know that I can act like a fool when I watch such games. And so can some of you. Why? Because I have placed winning a basketball game by 18, 19, 20, we don't really have very many older people than that on our basketball team, is going to be life or death for me. Ungodly fear causes us to make things bigger and more impacting in our lives than God. And it leads us to act like a fool. Think about the times you've really acted like a fool. I'm not talking about like, I'm talking about, like, have you ever acted like a fool? Often it's because you are fearing something else other than God. He says here that the fear of the Lord is the beginning and the middle and the end of wisdom. And then he says, all who practice it, 
That is to fear the Lord, have good understanding. They have discernment, the ability to determine what is right from false, what is, uh, what is true from false, what is right from wrong, what is wise from foolish. If you do not fear God, you will act and think like a fool. Because a fool is ultimately someone who lives their lives without reference to God. Life is too short and too precious to spend it fearing the wrong things in the wrong way. And so he says, why? Why do we want to fear the Lord? Why, why do we need this, this mixture of awe and intimacy for who, of who God is and what God has done? Because here's why the fear of the Lord is important. I'm going to give you some practical things here. It's not going to be on the screen. Here's the practicality. Number one, fearing the Lord helps you fight against sin. Because you're in awe of him. But you also have a relationship with him. Like when you really see how awesome he is, but also that you have a relationship with him, you don't want to sin against him, right? It helps you make decisions. Because you make decisions within the fear of the Lord. It helps you get your priorities straight. It's about the Lord. It inspires you to share the gospel. Paul says that knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. And it helps you listen to God more. I think what would do a lot of us better in life if we just had more of the fear of God in us. You know, my mom said over and over that she was going to put the fear of God in me. <laughs> I mean, do you want to know what God's will is for your life? You need wisdom. How do you get wisdom? By fearing God. Some of you maybe are making big decisions, marriage, career, parenting, life. Fear God. Look to God. Set God before you. Are some of you afraid of the unknown? Corey Tim Boone said this, trust your unknown future to a known God. I added a little bit to it. Trust your unknown future to a known God who knows your future. Fear God. That blend of intimacy. I have a relationship, but oh, he's so awesome. How can I fear the Lord? I know that's what you're asking. Rightfully and properly fearing God comes, as you read this psalm, by knowing God. One of my favorite verses in this psalm, outside of verse 10, is verse 2. It says, great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them. God's works are great and His goodness is good. And a right fear of God comes to those who carefully and thoughtfully think about God. How do I think about God? Through His Word. Sinful fear comes out of ignorance of God. Unbelief. And so, you know, what is it? I, I forget. Was it reading rainbow? Take a look. It's in a book, reading rainbow. Some of you are reliving your childhood. <laughs> Some of you middle schoolers are like, what's that about? <laughs> and that was a male's voice, by the way. Um, <laughs> no, that's not what I was thinking about. There's a, there's a used to be an old commercial that says, the more you know. The more you remember, the more you know. The more you know God, the more you, mo the, the more you know about God. And the more you know about God, the more you're in awe of God. And the more you're in awe of God, you're in even more awe that he has a relationship with you. 
See, we learn to fear God by delighting in God's works, and our delight of God leads us to a desire to study God, and our study of God creates a greater desire for God to delight in Him and to fear Him. Greater His works. I mean, we can talk about God's great works. We can talk about creation. Wow, creation. Can you imagine that God stood on a platform of nothing and spoke everything absolutely into existence? We can speak about how God uh, did what he did with Abraham and Sarah, how they were really, really old, and they had a child. And from that child came a multitude of, of, of people. We, we can talk about all the great miracles of God. We can talk about the parting of the Red Sea. We can talk about the, the walls of Jericho falling down. We can talk about Jonah and the well. Do you know the greatest, one of the greatest miracles that you've experienced in your life is the forgiveness of God? I love what the psalm says in Psalm 130. Psalm 130, verse 4. If you, O Lord, should mark my iniquities. Pardon me, verse 3, go back. If you, O Lord, should mark my iniquities, who could stand? Just think about that verse for a second. Who could stand? But with you, there is forgiveness that you may be feared. Doesn't that seem contradictory? Keep that verse back on there. But with you is forgiveness that you may be feared? What is that all about? I thought that when you're forgiven, you shouldn't be afraid of God anymore. See, when you wrong a person, has anybody in this room ever been wronged? The record of that wrong doesn't just vanish away. Sin creates a debt that stands against us, and it's enough when it comes to God. When you have one debt against God, it's enough to send you to hell for eternity. And so the psalmist says, if God were to keep score, we would be crispy critters. If God were to just give us what we truly deserved, we would be without hope. But the same God of shock and awe, thunder and lightning, is the same God of grace and mercy. And so we should be more shocked by his grace for us than his wrath towards us. With you is forgiveness. And you should be feared. If you go back to Psalm 111, he says that we are forgiven because God, in verse number 9, sent redemption to his people. It is within that context that he says in verse 9, he says, He sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. Who did he provide redemption through? Jesus. How do we get forgiven? Jesus. If we are forgiven, it's because of Jesus. And yes, it, it, it doesn't remove our fear of God. It should, we should be more in awe of God for what he has done. Thomas Watson, the great Puritan, said, Great was the work of creation, but greater the work of redemption. In creation, God gave us himself. In, in creation, God gave us ourselves, but in redemption, he gave us himself. How do we fear the, the Lord? By looking and beholding Jesus. And when you look at Jesus, you see that he is uniquely like us, human, but unlike us, divine. In Jesus, we see both the transcendence of God and the image of God, that God is a God who is above us, but he's also a God who came to save us. 
See, in Jesus, we see that God bled and died for our sins. He is an awesome God. And so if you want to have a proper fear of God, it comes by seeing and savoring what Jesus has done for you. And you should never get over what Jesus has done for you. I mean, if you are forgiven, if you're not going to hell, if you are heaven-bound, you have a lot to be in awe of God over. And it should not lead you to be flippant. It should lead you to fear the Lord. Fear the Lord, O you His saints. I'll end with this. 1 John 4, 17. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because he, because as he is, so also are we in the world. Verse 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Now, didn't we just be told that we are to fear the Lord? What is this fear? If we're saying that perfect love casts out fear. Well, the immediate context is it's the fear of judgment. There is a judgment day coming, and it's closer today than it was yesterday. And what we learn, if you just, if you just take the Bible for what it is, that God shouldn't be messed with. It is a fearful thing to fall in the hands of a living God. Jesus says, do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who could destroy both soul and body in hell. He's saying here that because of Jesus' love, the fear of judgment is taken away. The fear of judgment is the worst thing you could ever fear. Like whatever fears you have, whatever phobias you have, the fear of God's judgment should be the number one thing you should be afraid of. It should be. And guess what? Jesus, just what the Bible says, it's been taken away. It is an awesome thing to know that you're in the hands of a loving God. A Christian is one who, who is secure in the love of Jesus. A Christian secure in the love of God through Jesus Christ should not be terrified of the judgment day. So here, I was thinking about this this week, and I know this sermon's kind of all over the place, but I've been gone for two weeks. <laughs> Here's what I thought about yesterday. You cannot be anxious and feel loved at the same time. If you know you are loved, your heart will not be anxious. It's when we forget we are loved, we get anxious. When we forget that the one who loves us is God, we get anxious. See, whatever you're going through, whatever problems you're struggling with, they're nothing compared to God. And if they're nothing compared to God, they're nothing. Because that God loves you. He wants for you more than what you want. He has plans for you greater than you've got plans. Let me end with this. I want to end with this story. Uh, I've been everywhere, man. Across the desert there, man. I've been everywhere. And I'm, my name's not Johnny Cash. But I, was in, I was, spoke to a lot of people on this trip. And thank you so much for allowing me to go. One of the last days we were there, we met a group of, of guys, and here's a picture of them. I don't know if you can see it. But the guy that's in crutches is a guy named Sahir. Sahir 
uh, grew up in Baghdad. He was a Muslim. He grew up to fear Allah. He was a good Muslim. He wanted to be a good Muslim because he didn't want to go to hell. So one day he was out and about, and he was in Baghdad, and he got in between a crossfire between the United States Army and ISIS. And the U.S. Army shot his leg. And they knew they were responsible. He just got caught up, and he wasn't on purpose. And so the U.S. Army flew him to Kuwait, and they took care of him. Ultimately, he lost his leg, as you can see there. He was in Kuwait for about a year and a half, and eventually he made his way to Greece as a refugee, and he went met one of our partners there, and the gospel was shared with him, and he believed in Jesus, okay? So there he is, and he's a believer, okay? Praise God. So I was able to talk to him, and, and one of the things I asked him, I said, how is it that you came to faith? Because I didn't know the backstory. I said, was it a dream? Was it a, vin- a vision? Did you get, was it something? And, and he says, here's how it happened. He says that when he was in Kuwait, he was treated with re- remarkable kindness from the United States soldiers that were there. He says, I met for the first time real Christians. And he says, these Christians, while I was in this year and a half, they showed me love. And then I, I, they made me, I had to leave, and I eventually made it all the way up to Greece. And, and he says, I met some other group of Christians that were just so remarkably kind. And then I met this one guy who was a stranger to me, and he was so kind to me because I am here, and I'm in a foreign land, and I don't know anybody or anything. And, and he was so remarkably kind to me. And he challenged me. He says, let's read the Quran and read the Bible together. And so... Sahir read the Bible, read the Quran, and here's what he said. He says, as I read the Quran, it was all fear. As I read the Bible, it was all love. And, and this is, I'm, I'm in, this is translation, but he basically says, I'm forgiven, and I don't fear God, I love God. I don't fear God, I love God. And I think better translations, what he meant is, I'm not afraid of God. See, it was the love of Jesus he experienced by other Christians in his life that changed his life forever. And now he fears God because he's experienced the goodness and grace of God. He has both awe and intimacy. John Newton said this. He says, "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved." Do you fear the Lord? If not, it may be because you have not experienced the grace of God. Because when you've experienced that grace, you are in awe of Him. I'm in awe of God. And you're also in relationship with Him. And I want to end with this. If you know God loves you, you fear God, and you don't need to fear anyone or anything else. So where are you at in this? Do do you have a relationship with Jesus or is it all fear? Is it all afraid? Where are you today? Because I don't know about you, I needed this message. Did anybody else need this message? I needed it. And maybe for you, it's to give your life to Jesus today. So I'm going to pray and while I'm praying, you can just call out to the Lord. If you're here and you have some anxieties, you can give them to the Lord today. Cast your cares upon him. The beginning of wisdom is to fear the Lord. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, I ask that your Holy Spirit would do a work that I couldn't do. Uh, Lord, as as I just think about how great you are, Lord, I I never want to just lose the awe of who you are. It was grace that taught my heart to fear. But it's also grace 
that my fears were relieved. And Father, I pray for that person in this room or those watching online that does not have a relationship with you. God, I pray that today would be the day of salvation for them, that they would call upon your name, that they would give you their anxieties, give you their hurts, give you their problems. God, would they pray to you right now, Lord? Would they pray a prayer like this? Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I've lived for myself. But today I trust in you. I give you my life. I believe you are who you say you are. Forgive me of my sins. Save me, Jesus. In Jesus' name. Father, I pray for those who may have prayed a prayer like that or they want to, God, that you would give them the boldness to make it known this morning. Give them the boldness to make it shared. Father, I pray that you would use this day for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. If you trusted Christ as your Savior, you want somebody to talk to, I want to give you an opportunity to text in, or you can come see me at the end of the service or go to our Next Steps room. The, the text number is 407-338-4024. You can text that in, or come down see me in the front, or go to the Next Steps room. If you're online, we'd love to hear from you. Thank you again for listening to the Central Church Podcast. For more information on how to take your next step, visit us online at centralsanford.net.